Today on Save As, layers of history go underground. Welcome to Save As, the podcast that focuses on the next generation of heritage conservation scholarship and students from the University of Southern California Heritage Conservation Program. I'm Trudy Santmeyer. And I'm Cindy Olnick. So, Cindy. Yes, Trudy. I believe you have some news to share with our Save As audience. I'm so excited to share this news. Thank you to everyone who did our Save As survey. We got such great information, and we are going to use all of your comments to continue making Save As even better, because that is possible. Thank you to Sion Winship for your help putting it together. And I'm super excited to announce we have a winner of the mug. Okay, congratulations to Chloe Cuffle. Of? A highly collectible, limited edition, bespoke, branded, save as mug. You know, people are really interested in getting their hands on one of these mugs. Might they be able to win one if they haven't won one yet? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think we're going to leave that survey up there because why not? So if you haven't yet had a chance to do our three minute survey, please go to saveas.place complete the survey and you too may win you can't win if you don't play so true speaking of place we at save as are all about place and today we're about the final resting place yeah i had a recent conversation with alumna rachel trombetta who did her thesis work on the jewish cemeteries of east los angeles they have lots of interesting challenges associated with their conservation and so we explored that a little bit You know, cemeteries mean so many things to so many different cultures and people around Los Angeles, around the U.S., around the world. So this is just one little slice of that, but it's uh, super important. So let's listen to Trudy's conversation with Rachel Trombetta. Welcome, Rachel, to the Save As Universe. Thanks for coming to chat with us today about your thesis and about what's going on with you and what you've been doing since you graduated. Thank you so much for having me. You had kind of a different path coming into heritage conservation and had a really interesting work history prior to coming to grad school. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I grew up uh, a little bit on the East Coast, then moved to L.A. uh, when I was about eight years old. I ended up back in New York City for college and stayed there for a few years after college. I got an undergrad degree in art history from NYU. And then I actually grew up in a film family. So we moved to Los Angeles when I was a kid because my father is a film editor. So I, it really is, film is basically a family business for me. And I was interested in getting into it. So after uh, I graduated from undergrad, I fell into working in the locations department for film and television, which is a really interesting department that a lot of people don't really know about. They don't really know what they do. But some of the more glamorous aspects of it involve scouting houses, apartments, buildings. And I was lucky enough to work on a period television show shortly after graduating. And so when I was working in locations, uh, actually was exposed to all of these beautiful buildings in New York City, especially in Staten Island, which is really interesting. A lot of people don't make it down there. Mm -hmm. I've always loved 
old architecture. I've always loved seeing history through buildings. And so it was really fun working in the locations department and being exposed to these buildings via work. But I got more and more interested in wanting to work in these buildings, with these buildings, and help to save these buildings. And so when I was working as a location coordinator in New York City, I started uh, getting more involved in the New York City preservation world and ultimately decided to go to grad school just to kind of fulfill, you know, a different interest that I had and that I still have. Okay, so you came back here to L.A. to go to grad school. Why did you make that choice? So I chose to come back to L.A. for grad school for a few reasons. Well, one reason was that I, in general, I missed Los Angeles. Uh, my family is here. A lot of my friends are here. I missed the city and I wanted to come back. And I felt like it was a really great place for me to try a new thing, to grow a new career. I decided to stay in L.A. and go to the USC Heritage Conservation Program because it just seemed like a really great opportunity to try new things. It was a really great place to explore a new part of my identity, my interests, and I had a really great time exploring all of that. As happens when you finish your degree, we make you write a thesis. So you picked a very interesting topic. Tell me what the title of your thesis is. The title of my thesis is Beit Olam, A Home Everlasting, The Jewish Cemeteries of East Los Angeles. So Beit Olam means a forever home. And, you know, when you think of cemeteries, you think a cemetery really is, it's going to be a cemetery forever, right? If a cemetery is established, it's going to be there forever. And in the Jewish tradition, this is taken very seriously. When Jews move to a new community, the first thing that they do is establish a burial ground because for them, it means that they're establishing their roots, and that's, this is the place that they're going to stay. So a cemetery is a really important cu cultural touchstone for the Jewish community. The Jewish community in Los Angeles was established pretty early on in the city's history. Where and when? When did they all start here in L.A.? Uh, I believe there were about eight Jews in L.A. when it was first established as a city. And the Jewish community for the most part, really centered itself in downtown Los Angeles during the 19th century. So the first Jewish cemetery in L.A. was actually established in uh, what we now know as the Chavez Ravine. During the 19th century, the Jewish community mostly lived and worked in downtown Los Angeles. By the 1910s, increasing industry and crowded housing in downtown caused the Jewish community to start leaving the area. And Working-class Jews, who were often from Eastern Europe, moved east across the river to Boyle Heights and neighboring city terrace where they could find affordable single-family residences and fresh air, and they could travel via streetcar to their downtown workplaces. So there seems to be a lot of cemeteries in and around Boyle Heights. What's the story there? Why are there so many cemeteries over there? In early Los Angeles history, most of the cemeteries in L.A. were located around downtown. And as the 19th century went on, these cemeteries, you know, gradually became too small. They ran out of room. They became derelict. They were unsightly. And so there became a need to create new cemeteries elsewhere. Also in the 19th century, there was this idea of miasma, the concept of miasma, basically people thought that if you lived close to a cemetery, you could potentially 
become sick from the fumes emanating from people buried in the cemetery. And so there became a need to create more cemeteries elsewhere. And when they were looking for open land, Boyle Heights became a location for potential cemeteries. So Evergreen Cemetery was established in Boyle Heights. And so when there were attempts made to establish more cemeteries in Boyle Heights, the community, because of this fear of miasma, but also because they believed real estate prices would be affected by having a cemetery in their neighborhood, really did not want the cemeteries in their neighborhood. And so many cities at the time, not just Los Angeles, were creating laws prohibiting new cemeteries within city limits. People started looking across the city lines into unincorporated Los Angeles County, and that's how cemeteries ended up in East L.A. There's a lot of them, though. There's kind of a crazy concentration of cemeteries in a really small area. There are 11 cemeteries still existing in this area that's within a two-square-mile radius of Boyle Heights and East L.A. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a crazy lot. Yeah. So you can understand why people would be freaked out about having all of these places filled with dead people around their neighborhood. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that seems valid. (laughs) That does seem valid to me. I get it. But they're not all Jewish cemeteries, right? There's different denominations that created cemeteries specifically for linked to a particular church or a particular congregation. But your thesis was specifically focusing on the Jewish cemeteries in East L.A. So why those? What was the interest for you in focusing on those cemeteries? So actually, when I was trying to come up with a topic for my thesis, I really didn't know what I was going to write about. But I knew that Boyle Heights in particular was a really interesting neighborhood. It has all of these layers of multicultural history. It's been a an immigrant community for years and years and years, and not just a Jewish immigrant community. So I was driving around and just trying to come up with inspiration for my thesis. And I happened to go a little further east into East L.A. And all of a sudden I started seeing these cemeteries and there are so many cemeteries. And not only are there so many, but many of them are immigrant cemeteries. And these three cemeteries in particular, I just truly happened to drive by. And they were so interesting to me because they look like no other cemetery that I had seen in the area or even in the rest of the United States. So... I was instantly interested. I always loved cemeteries, but I had kind of a casual love for cemeteries. And And all that has changed now. Yes. yes. And now I am. I'm the cemetery friend in my group. I am the cemetery fanatic. You're that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. These cemeteries are really interesting because they are Jewish and they are primarily Orthodox Jewish in style. And it was so surprising to come across them in that area because now East L.A. is primarily Latino, and it's almost 100% Mexican-American. And so I just was so curious, why were these cemeteries here? Why did they look the way they look? Totally. I was curious about what the story was. Well, that's as good a reason as any to start writing a thesis about it. Figure it out as you go. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right. So you focused on four cemeteries in particular. So in the 19th century, the Jewish cemetery that was established in the Chavez Ravine was already having problems. It was very small. It was on a hill. When it rained, it was muddy, and they couldn't get up to the cemetery. 
and they needed a new cemetery. In 1902, the B'nai B'rith congregation, which was the first Jewish congregation in Los Angeles and later became the Wilshire Boulevard Temple, purchased 30 acres in East L.A. for Home of Peace Cemetery. And they moved all of the bodies from the original Jewish cemetery to the new cemetery via horse and cart. And Home of Peace was really the preeminent Jewish cemetery in Los Angeles for many years. There are many studio heads buried at Home of Peace. There's a couple of the Three Stooges, famous actors. Really, the Jewish who's who of Los Angeles was buried in Home of Peace. Home of Peace is a pretty large cemetery. They offer many different types of burial, cremation, and They've gone through some changes in ownership, but they still exist today. They're still performing burials. They have a pretty established endowment fund. Home of Peace is still very active and still providing burials for the Jewish community in Los Angeles. But there are these three other smaller cemeteries that are kind of right nearby. What's the story with those three? Two out of the three were established by independent congregations in Los Angeles. Orthodox congregations. Beth Israel Cemetery was established in 1906 by Congregation Beth Israel, which was the oldest Orthodox congregation in LA. Agudath Achim Cemetery was established by the Orthodox Agudath Achim Congregation. And Mount Zion Cemetery, which is in between the two, was actually established by the Jewish Free Burial Society. And it was initially established to provide proper Orthodox burials for indigent Jews who might not be able to afford a proper burial. So you said you really noticed these graveyards when you drove down the street because they looked really different. So what do they look like? So the majority of the graves have these upright headstones and are covered lengthwise with concrete ledgers or slabs. The cemeteries are also organized in really tight rows. They're packed very tightly. There's no greenery. There's no green space. They have paths that go through. And there are also a lot of ceramic memorial portraits on these headstones. So it's a picture of the person who's buried there. Ceramic memorial portraits are photos of the deceased that have been fired in a kiln, covered in resin, and placed on the headstone. They're really beautiful because it allows you to see the person who is buried there, and it creates this really strong connection. They are also very susceptible to damage, though. So Beth Israel was established in 1906. Mount Zion was established in 1916. And Agudath Achim was established in 1919. So they were all established within about 20 years after Home of Peace on Whittier Boulevard. Did they fill up? Or why did people stop using these cemeteries? So there was a combination of factors that led to these cemeteries not being used as much. Following World War II, Jewish communities, Jewish businesses, Jewish congregations were all moving westward. And Boyle Heights was becoming an increasingly Latino neighborhood. Uh, by the 1970s, there were very few Jews left in Boyle Heights. And so they were pretty far away from these cemeteries. Did they create new cemeteries at that point? Jewish people started burying their loved ones in newer and more modern cemeteries that were being established on the west side and in the valley closer to where these Jewish communities were. So what becomes of these Jewish cemeteries at this point? The congregations and societies establishing these smaller cemeteries were moving, 
they were dissolving, they were getting smaller, they were merging with other congregations. And ultimately, the two smaller cemeteries that were owned by congregations were sold to a for-profit Jewish mortuary. Also at the same time, Boyle Heights was kind of losing its reputation as the heart of the Jewish community. As time went on, people kind of forgot that Boyle Heights had been a center of Jewish life in the early 20th century. And I know that when I was growing up in LA, if you asked me where the Jewish neighborhood was, I would have probably said the Fairfax district. And even today now, people would probably say that the Center for Jewish Life is Pico Robertson. It's no longer the Fairfax district. And the Jewish community as it's moved has really lost a lot of its connections with Boyle Heights and East LA. What are the issues that they're grappling with now in terms of keeping these cemeteries in good shape and viable and even open? So Home of Peace is still an active cemetery. They have burials and they have established an endowment fund. So an endowment fund basically ensures that there are funds that will go towards the maintenance of the cemetery in the future. Beth Israel and Aguda Achim have experienced some damage due to vandalism, just general ground settling, earthquake damage, and the ceramic portraits are particularly vulnerable. They're very easily damaged. And over the years, they've actually been used for target practice. These smaller cemeteries now are almost full. They don't have any endowment funds to care for their future. The owners do their best, but without an endowment fund, the future of the cemeteries is pretty precarious. Mount Zion has been experiencing cycles of damage and community-funded restoration for decades now. Uh, one of the quotes that I included in my thesis that really just sums it up is John Llewellyn Forrest Lawn said, a cemetery is the only business that sells something once and takes care of it forever. Right. So it's a huge challenge to come up with the money to keep taking care of these things when the people themselves have passed away, their families have moved away, and they're not close by paying attention to these to these places anymore. I think an interesting thing about these cemeteries is not only is the Jewish community uh, really distanced from these cemeteries geographically, but also traditionally, Jewish people are not encouraged to visit cemeteries often. Orthodox Jewish doctrine teaches that Judaism is a religion of life and not of death. So you limit the amount of death that you bring into your life. And part of that means not regularly visiting the cemetery and memorializing the loved one at home rather than focusing on the cemetery as the place where you remember them. Yeah, so it creates a really big disconnect for these particular small cemeteries linked to the Orthodox communities that make it especially challenging. Exactly. There's some challenges just from a conservation perspective about cemeteries. What are some things that make cemeteries hard to conserve? Cemeteries are extremely complicated. They're kind of an interesting niche in the conservation world. One of the issues with cemeteries is that it's really difficult to adaptively reuse them. With a historic building, there's the potential to adaptively reuse it. You can turn it into a home, you can turn it into a business, it can create profits and you can use those profits to then restore the building in the future. A cemetery is a cemetery forever. You can't change that. And sometimes people have been able to create 
really interesting programming to help fund cemeteries. So a good example of that is Hollywood Forever partners with Synespia to have movie nights on the lawn. Also Congressional Cemetery in Washington DC has this really great dog walkers program where members can walk their dogs off leash on the cemetery grounds and that covers like a quarter of their yearly operating budget. But with every cemetery, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that. So there's always a question of ethics. Some people are uncomfortable with the idea of having entertainment and activities and programming on cemetery grounds. So three out of the four Jewish cemeteries in East LA are very small. They're very tightly packed. There's no grass or space to do any programming. And so unfortunately, they really can only be used as a cemetery. Cemeteries are a category of landmark that we kind of typically stay away from because unless the design of the cemetery itself is significant, you know, there's always famous people buried in a cemetery. There's always important city figures, you know, people important in history who are in a cemetery. So if we landmarked all of them, every cemetery would be a landmark. And we don't do that in conservation at all. It's the exception rather than the rules. Yeah. So there are limited tools uh, that are available to conserve these cemeteries. And ultimately, a lot of cemetery conservation comes down to grassroots efforts to create interest and create connection between communities and their local cemeteries. And that's a challenge in East Los Angeles when the Jewish community lives far away and that they're not park-like spaces necessarily, or at least the three smaller ones are not. It's really a different experience going there. It's a lot of concrete. So when I was researching these cemeteries and trying to figure out why they look the way they look, why they have these upright headstones, why they have the concrete ledgers, one thing that I thought was interesting is if you've ever been to a Jewish cemetery, you probably noticed that it is a tradition in Jewish cemeteries to leave little stones on top of somebody's headstone when you're visiting. And it mostly has now become a sentimental thing. It, it, it indicates that that person is loved, that person was visited. It's a little token instead of leaving flowers. But there are some theories that the reason why Jewish people leave stones on someone's headstone goes back to when, long, long ago, when we would bury our loved ones where they died and then place stones on top of the grave to protect the bodies from wild animals disrupting the bodies. And so every time you visited somebody's grave, you would leave another stone. It was a way to keep the grave safe, but it also indicated respect and love. And so there is a theory that these concrete ledgers have evolved as a continuation of this tradition of stones, of leaving stones on top of the burial site. Yeah, that's super interesting and really different than a lot of other cultural traditions in the way that they handle their burials, for sure. Yeah. And it makes the cemetery look really different and unique. It's just a completely different vibe. I encourage everyone to go and look at the show notes for this episode because we're going to have a bunch of photos of these cemetery so you can really get a sense of what it looks like or better yet drive out to east la and see them yourself let's turn the page so what have you been up to since graduating 
So I've continued to work in film and I still work in locations, but I also work as an art department researcher for film and TV, which has been really great because I've been able to combine my researching expertise that I learned in the Heritage Conservation Program and through researching this thesis with film. And it's been a really interesting combination. It's been really fun. When you work in the location department for film and television, what does that mean? What do you do? So the locations department is responsible not only for finding the locations that we film in, but also for making it all happen. It's a lot of logistics. So you're working with the homeowners, you're working with neighborhoods, you're working with communities, you're working with the city, you're filing permits, but you're also making sure that the locations are treated properly and are left the way that you found them. And if anything comes up, you help restore them. Because filming can be tough on places and historic buildings sometimes get kind of abused in the filming process. So the role of the location people are very important when it comes to historic resources and making sure that that they are in as good or better shape as they were when you found them. Yeah. But it is really sometimes a huge source of income for historic places to work with the film and television industry as a way to help pay for restoration work that needs to be done because everybody benefits then as long as it's done carefully, right? Exactly. You know, Los Angeles stands in for so many other places in the country. And I think it's a job hazard for people like you and I when we watch television or go to the movies and we're like, oh, that's not Washington, D.C. That's downtown L.A. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, I'm at the point where I know too much. It can really ruin my enjoyment. You out of the moment, doesn't it? <laughs> it takes me out of the moment, of course. Yeah. For those of us in the know, people who know the city, <laughs> we know what we're saying. Well, thank you, Rachel, for coming and spending a little time with us here on Save As to talk about your work and about what you've been up to since your finishing grad school. It was fun to chat and to revisit some of these topics that I remember vividly from our time together at USC. Well, thank you so much for having me. Trudy, once again, Save As has taught me something new. I love learning new things. It's always cool to find out something new about L.A. and about heritage conservation. I had no idea there were so many cemeteries in that one tiny little area. That's crazy. Thank you to Rachel, and thank you to everyone out there working so hard to preserve these very important cultural landscapes and touchstones for all of us. So for those of you who are curious about what these interesting places look like, you should go look at the episode page on our website at saveas.place, where we've posted some photos that you can take a look at and links with more information about all these topics and other things that are related, including Rachel's thesis, if you want to take a really deep dive. Thanks so much to everyone for listening today and tune in next time when we explore some other fascinating topic in heritage conservation. You'll just have to tune in and find out. And you know, if you're at all concerned about missing the next episode, we can fix that. You can fix it by subscribing to Save As wherever you get your podcasts or at saveas.place. 
Thank you, as always, to our amazing producer, Willis Seidenberg. And thanks to Stephen Conley for composing our theme music. This podcast is a production of the Heritage Conservation Program at the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California.